Open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 28. If you're visiting with us, know that there are sermon notes in the bulletin. You want to pull those out, helps you follow along where we're going. This morning we are, we are picking up part two of a study that we started last week on baptism. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is going to be our first passage, and it was the base passage from which we started studying last week. If you weren't with us, just a couple points of recap. Baptism is one of two, we call them ordinances, that the church is to hold in public practice. And it, an ordinance is a command. We do not have sacraments in the church. Sacraments are a practice that you do in which people perceive that they are getting grace. There's nowhere in the New Testament that that concept is taught. It is people thinking that they should impose that upon practices that they, you even get the concept of, oh, we have sacraments. Ordinances, too, are not in the New Testament. Commands are, but we understand, and it's this concept, though, that, that we do not see any grace coming from an ordinance, but we call the public practices that we do ordinances, and there's two. There's communion, and there is baptism. And, and sometimes when you hear there's two ordinances that the church needs to follow sometimes you think oh there's only two commands we need to follow but no husbands need to love their wives and etc we need to be people who tell the truth we need to be people who don't steal so all kinds of new testament commands we got to follow but publicly publicly every believer is to participate in the lord's supper communion and in baptism as we we'll, as we have seen and we studied last week. Now, some of you might be saying, well, you know, when I talk, look at the concept of baptism, there's all these different practices that all these different churches participate. There's sprinkling and dunking once, dunking three times, dunking forward, dunking backwards. You know, people who dunk that believe that this is when a person becomes a believer. And some of these we showed you were just out and out wrong and very incorrect. And you think, well, why in the world would so many Churches have so many varied views. Just jot this verse down. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, the Apostle Paul, in discussing differences within the church, says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. And so the purpose that God gives some passages in Scripture that are sometimes nebulous, like Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Like, well, wait a second. Doesn't that teach baptismal regeneration that you get baptized, you get saved? Well, wait a second. We went through Acts 2.38 through to Acts 2.40, I think 2.41, where it's very evident Peter in that speech was talking about belief and other passages like Ephesians 2.8.9, by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Titus 3.5, Old Testament, Isaiah 55, very much makes it clear, Habakkuk 2.3, that People have always been saved by faith, and they're saved by faith now. So that a passage that is hard, maybe at the times, to interpret, Acts 2.38, becomes clear that you say, well, it's a sequence. Repent, and then get baptized. And it's even in that context. But when somebody teaches baptisms needed for salvation, it's that 1 Corinthians 11 passage that helps you say, well, why would God make something that could be so easily tripped up? Why doesn't God make everything so easily understood so that we would never have confusion? Part of what that is is that God allows this so that you can identify false teachers. 
You've got to understand so that when you hear, oh, this guy's teaching baptismal regeneration or some other bad view, it's God's way for you to say, oh, I need to avoid that teacher. I need to stay away from that church because God is saying that you may know who's approved and they would be evident among you. And so God is allowing various difficult passages like that for a purpose so that we can see who can rightly divide the word, who can understand it in a way that's consistent. And so baptism doesn't save. Faith alone saves. And so anyone that would mess up baptism would be showing you that they are not approved. And so if you're looking at Matthew 28, you look at verse 18, Jesus, at the end of his ministry, gives this great command. It's called the Great Commission. Great because of the significance of what it's to accomplish. All authority, he says, has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The key command is make disciples. Not evangelize. Evangelize is understood. If I'm going to make a disciplined learner, a person who's a Christian has to be a disciplined learner. Somebody who says, I can give and go with my Christianity. You know, I don't really get it in my Bible. You need to understand the very essence of the Great Commission is that we need to be disciplined learners. And we take our disciplined learners through a baptism and a teaching. And interestingly enough, that word baptism there should have been translated immersion and dunking, a submission of total enveloping in the name, and we'll talk more about this in a second, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we looked at that idea of immerse, baptize means to immerse, to totally envelop. And God wants us to be submerged in water as a public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ. What was interesting is, if you just took verse 19 alone, verse 19 alone, you would never have to necessarily prove or have water baptism in the sense of being somebody being submerged in water. It wasn't until we studied the book of Acts that it really became clear that water is being discussed. And the passages that we're going to look at today, it's fascinating. We're going to look at four passages today that all deal with baptism, but water is not directly involved in any of them. These are the four significant passages with baptism, but they are not directly dealing with water. Most theologians hold that they're like in the background. So we'll talk about that here in a moment. But what, what, what I want you to understand is when we look at baptism, it is important. It is something that's significant. It is something that God wants us to understand. And some of the most important passages, as you go through, you say, wow, I'm very familiar with that passage because they, tie, they deal with baptism. And I found it fascinating that so many passages that, that are well-known deal with baptism. One of them even came into a joke. I'm going to tell you a joke. And if you're visiting this morning, I got to tell you, I got to announce my jokes because <laughs> people sometimes don't know when I'm joking. So this is a joke. A woman had just, turned, a woman had just returned from home and from evening services when she was startled by an intruder. She caught the man in the act of robbing her home of its valuables, and she yelled, Stop! Acts 238. 
Acts 2.38 says, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The burglar stopped in his tracks. The woman, woman calmly called the police and explained what she had done. And the officer cuffed the man to take him in. And he asked the burglar, why did you just stand there? All the old lady did was yell a scripture to you. Scripture, the burglar said. She had an ax and two thirty-eights. <laughs> That's good. I, la- I like laughter. <laughs> All right. Baptism is important, all right? If you have your notes on page one, what we went over last week is the theology of believer's baptism. It's tied to the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. The theology is this, that baptism is a literal immersion in water for an independent public identification with Christ that has symbolic meanings tied to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and so we said, why is baptism important? Well, it's commanded, but remember, you want to put in your notes, indirectly because the the command is make disciples by baptizing and by teaching there is no command that's ever really ever says go out and you know go baptize but it's make disciples and we immerse them and like i said in matthew 28 you would not necessarily have to force water on it until we went through the book of acts and we went through every passage We went through every passage where believers are baptized in the New Testament, and and we saw only adults were baptized. Clearly, there were three passages where households were baptized. People made a conscious understanding of what they believed in. You had no infant, you had nobody who didn't know what they were professing. They were baptized, and they were even baptized at one time just in the name of Jesus, didn't have the Father and the Son. And we put all of that together to help drive our definition there that it's an independent, it's a statement where somebody's not being coerced. That's what we mean by independent. They're not being coerced. They're not somebody that is under the influence of another individual. They are someone that is making an independent public identification. And we're going to look at those symbolic understandings today. We looked at the history of baptism from the Old Testament through the New Testament. What is interesting, you have to understand, every time you study the concept of baptism, you, don't, you need to understand that, that there are five ways that baptism is used in the New Testament. It's used with water, it's used with the Holy Spirit, fire, suffering, or some type of figurative, symbolic meaning. And, and that's important, because if you're going to be a good student of the Bible— you need to know that every time you see the word baptism, it doesn't automatically mean water. Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. New Testament church gets the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers at the end of age get fire. Jesus is going to baptize the world in fire. And so we went through those passages as well prior to going into, as you see, the fourth point there, that believers are uh, the believers baptized in the book of Acts. And we looked through that whole theology. You'll flip your sheets over, fill in the blank with the word symbolism, because this is where we're at today. Today, we're going to look at the symbolism of baptism, meaning we're going to see what the spiritual truth it represents. There are no passages which directly say the symbolism of baptism is this, but there are four key concepts that we will see are represented by these four main passages. These are the four key passages that represent the symbolism of baptism. When you study the each, you, you, you see, wow, when I bring this together, I've got a good theology of baptism. And I'll, I'll have an understanding of what the clear concept is. So with the very first one, fill in the blank for Matthew 28, 
you get identification. Matthew 28, verse 19, go there, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. And what you hear, get, get the idea with the big word identification with God, especially Jesus, is that we are being identified with him. We're getting known with the name of Jesus. The name and the concept of a name in scripture is very important because it represents God. And so you think through the history of the Bible. Exodus chapter three, Moses gets to meet God. And he says, you know, the whole big point is he gets to meet him and he gets to know his name. Yahweh, I am that I am. In the book of, where is it? You can just jot this down. So that's Exodus 3. In the book of um, Hosea, chapter 2, one of the key points in the minor prophets is when God finally says to Israel, you're going to call me Ishi. That's going to be my name with you. And you're no longer going to call me my um, Bali, which would mean my Baal, a false god. And, and the whole concept of a name represents who God is, what he represents. So that when you all know the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And, and I was thinking this morning, there's all these passages that I thought, well, I was going to take you through all these different passages about name, name, name. Let me just give you one. You got the Lord's Prayer, okay, um, Matthew 7, just just jump back there. This is Jesus' ending of his Sermon on the Mount, and he's challenging people to be people who really put into practice the standards that he, he's expecting, and obviously to drive people ultimately to faith in Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus says, many, many will say to me on that day, this is the day of judgment, Lord, did we not prophesy in what? Your name. Didn't we identify with you? Didn't we represent you? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You, you claim my name, but you didn't practice what you are identifying with. And you can just go down. You know, there's Acts 4.12. There's no other name that, that, by which we must be saved, okay? Here's the thought, okay? So you just go back to Matthew 28. Go there, make disciples, baptizing them in the name. It's one name. This is where I believe we get the idea of one submersion, one dunk. Some people think that you dunk three times because name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it's one name. The key thing is also, and when we studied the book of Acts and we saw every believer's passage where they were submerged, we never saw anybody submerged three times. So what we see is people submerged somehow being taken in the water, the name being declared, and what is that doing? But you are saying, I am being totally submerged in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, meaning I want to totally identify with the Godhead. And that is why, that is why when you get baptized, what you are publicly saying is, you can count me as somebody that identifies with the triune God. And you can count me with him because of Jesus Christ. And that is why that one passage, and it escapes me right now, that, that it says, go forward and baptize them in the name of Jesus. Didn't have the Father and the Holy Spirit. You think, well, why in the world were those two left out? Well, ultimately, we pick up our theology. The reason we are being water baptized is because of what Jesus Christ did. And the other three passages of symbolism will make that clear as well. 
when I look at Matthew 28, I am to be immersed in the name. I am to make disciples of people and immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that they are totally identified with the triune God. So what does this mean when I see baptism? When I see baptism, what I am seeing is somebody who's coming out and saying, count me as one of them. Count me as a believer. Count me as identifying with God. And, 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 and I think that all of us should always remember when we watch a baptism, that that is what, if we've been baptized, that we want to do, we want to be living the type of life that says, I want to be counted with God. I want to be identified with him. Um, I think that's, I, I, I think, I, I heard this really good analogy once. Um, it's going through, Becky and I were going through parenting classes in California. And uh, really good, godly man who raised three wonderful children, he said one of the things he did with raising his children, um, he said, I always told them that, you know, let's say their last name was Smith. He said, I want you to always remember we're Smiths. Smiths don't do this. Smiths don't do this improper thing. Smiths do this proper thing. When you go out in public, you represent the Smiths. I want you to always do that. And he said later, as his kids were adults, how that greatly impacted them. That always made them think, I'm a Smith. This is how I act. When we get baptized in the name of God, we want to represent that name. Isn't it interesting in the book of Acts that people were called Christians because they were acting like the name Christ? I think it's critical that we recognize the symbolism is an identification. We want to be counted with the triune God, the God that we know as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one that we come to a relationship through with Jesus Christ. Baptism is just simply, is, I don't say simply, it is very important that we understand it is an identification. It's an identification. And so the challenge is, that we rep recognize how important it is we're living up to that because we are Christians. How, if someone would say, hey, is a, should a Christian be doing that? Would a Christian be doing that? Just like the Smiths would say. And I want us to say, hey, we are, we are identifying with him and we want to be counted with him and we're representing him out in public. Second, Turn to, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. So not only do we have identification, but now we come to the idea of the death, burial, and resurrection of, fill in the blank, Jesus. This is where it gets more narrow in the book of Romans. We have our second passage, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Now remember, in and of itself, Matthew 28 doesn't have water directly implied because we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the sense that they are being immersed in all that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit represent, okay? And, there, and water is like secondary, but like we said, water is very much needed because of the fact that we saw through the book of Acts that it was, it was understood that they would be immersed in water as they play out that symbolic representation of identification. Here we come to a passage 
that there's no water involved, but it is one of the most intense, I mean, best passages to teach regarding the symbol, symbolism of baptism. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about our salvation, how we live changed lives. And he says in chapter 1, I mean chapter 6, verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may, that grace may increase? And famous passage, may it never be. Meganetto, strongest form of denial in the Greek language. No, no. How shall we, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now again, I go back to if, if we would not have the New Testament translators use the word um, baptizo in that sense, or baptism, if they would have used the word immersion here, maybe this wouldn't have been as confusing. But the word here, the concept here, is that all have been immersed into Christ Jesus. This is on a spiritual level. Verse 3 has no water involved, but there's the idea that very much we understand when we get baptized, it's picturing the idea that we have been immersed into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then we studied this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ, into the body of Christ, and we represent him. And so look at verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too might we walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here is what this is teaching, is that when we become believers in Jesus Christ, what happens is we get spiritually identified with his death. And it's an incredible reality. Um, it's an incredible reality that we get identified with his death. And when we go into the waters of baptism, whether you go forward or you go backwards, what happens is it's picturing the fact that we go into the water, which is like we're going into the ground, we're being buried, and then we come out to newness of life. And it's a beautiful picture. So the physical waters of baptism are being used to understand this spiritual concept here of what has happened to us when we became believers in Jesus Christ. Not only being identified, but it's picturing the salvation that has occurred to us. And I often think to myself, I like this illustration. You know, all of us have been to cemeteries, and I believe, or at least you've seen a gravestone. And when you go to a gravestone, there's two things you get that, that are below the name, typically. You, you typically get, like, the date they're born and then the date they die. And, and for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, you can plug in your birthday, but the day you died spiritually really is Nisan 1430 AD, if you take the fact that Jesus was killed in the Hebrew month of Nisan on the 14th in AD 30. I think, what? You know, shouldn't it be 2050 or whatever from alive today? Well, the reality of it is, is God looks at you as dying with Jesus Christ. God looks at you as dying with Christ. And when Christ died, you died. And so baptism is representing the fact that you have gone into the, into the grave, you've been buried, you've been brought out. 
And so here we come to an idea that the death, burial, and, Jesus, and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ represents us. And I want you to think about the symbolism. So not only do you think, wow, how am I living with Christ, you know, in the sense of identifying with him, how am I living out the fact that I am now a new creature in Christ, that I'm someone that's new, that I'm somebody that's living out a new life? Because, you know, one of the things that I often think of, like when you think about your birth and then your death, is that little dash. You ever hear this? That dash represents so much. The dash represents your entire life and all the things that you did. And so as I think of how now I am identified with Christ and I am been buried and I am now raised from the dead and I'm living for Christ, my life now rep- is represented by that dash, I guess, if I could put it that way. And I'm thinking, what kind of life am I living? Because I am now representing, I, I am now living a new life because I've been resurrected, right? I don't know, maybe the analogy doesn't break down as well as I'd like it to. But the idea here is that I am now a new creature. And I put the other passage, Colossians 2, on there as well, because most people consider that as a similar passage, that that deals with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All right, let's go to the third passage, one that I really like. I thought it was interesting that Carl picked up 2 Peter. Go to 1 Peter. So not only do we have the symbolism dealing with identification, not only does it deal with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it also now represents safety from judgment. 1 Peter chapter <coughs> excuse me, 3 is interesting because it's a passage that's dealing with the concept of conscience, how somebody has a good conscience. And it's exhorting us as believers to live holy lives. But where it comes back to is the fact is, is this concept of the fact that ultimately, as believers, we, we are now in right standing with him because we have a clear conscience. Now, pick this up, um, pick this up in verse 18, chapter 3 of 1 Peter. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So this is the gospel. We believe Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid the penalty that we owed. So, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, verse 19, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Now, I believe it wasn't Christ. I believe it was Noah was preaching, and it, he was preaching in the testimony of righteousness, and it's the very same message that Christ represents, all right? Verse 20, who were once disobedience when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. I thought it was ironic, Carl read that passage, that the world one day is going to be destroyed by what? Fire. But one day prior, it's already been through judgment by water, through water. And so now he's bringing up this concept of the flood. So verse 21, corresponding to that, and that, that little expression is like, let's make application with that. That's exactly what that's saying. Verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Wait a second, time out. I thought baptism doesn't save. Thankfully, we keep on reading. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. What do you mean? It's just another way to say Not with water. I'm not talking about water. So I don't understand why people would just stop at the first part unless they're a false teacher and they're trying to manipulate. Verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but here, an appeal to God for good conscience 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone to heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. And, and so what this is talking about is corresponding to that baptism now saves you. Immersion into Christ now saves you. And it's a picture somewhat of the ark, but also of the fact of eight people went through the waters of, of, of judgment. And when a person thinks back to the flood, there was Noah and his family, and this water came in and should have destroyed them, but it didn't because God, through the ark, saved them. And so the picture, when we hold baptism, is the picture of the fact that we go into the waters of judgment, those waters should drown us, i.e. another reason why we should deal with submersion and not sprinkling, that we have we are submerged into the water and we come out of the water and the water doesn't kill us and and so therefore it's a picture of the safety from judgment not only am i being immersed in the name and being totally identified not only am i thinking about being buried death burial and resurrection but i am thinking about the safety that i have from coming judgment and that's what baptism is to represent and i think it's a wonderful picture and it's a reminder all the time. When I watch a baptism, that I am reminded, oh my goodness, I should be totally subject to God's judgment. He judged the world once with water, and he's going to judge the world with fire. And so I want you to think about when you think of your baptism or somebody else's baptism, that God saved you from judgment. And it should swell in you a great joy to live for God or praise God. I don't know how it's going to come out. You know, I was thinking about you know, as a believer, I'll go to weddings. And when I was younger, I was thinking, another wedding. You know, why do I want to go to a wedding? You know, there's all these weddings. And a lot of my friends were getting married. It's just wedding after wedding. But as I get older, and I look at the opportunity to go to weddings now, this is what I want myself to think about, is that every time I view a wedding, it is a wonderful opportunity for me to think about what the vows of my wedding represent? Am I living up to them? Am I living up to what a wedding should be, It's not, uh, what marriage should be? I'm hoping that as we're talking about what baptism represents, that every time we see another baptism, that we're going to remember these symbolisms, and especially the ones regarding freedom from safety. I mean, the blessing that we're safe, we're safety from being judged. All right, last passage. Turn to Titus 3.5. This is historically one of the most, um, this is clearest passages regarding the fact that, that works don't save us. And this is a passage that maybe at first you'd say, well, wait a second, the word baptism doesn't even appear. But here, the ultimate concept what baptism does in the sense of washing away sin. So fill in the blank with washing. Titus 3.5 is a passage that reminds us that with <coughs> baptism, there is a sense of washing from sin. Let me read Titus 3.5 and explain. Paul is explaining salvation, and he saves, says in verse 5, book of Titus, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of, by the Holy Spirit. So he saved us. God saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. So not by works. It's so clear. 
So it's not how much money I give, what church I attend. If you thought that you're a good person, you're not good enough to get yourself saved because ultimately the penalty for sin is what? Death. And so Jesus had to pay the death penalty that you owed. Your works could not save you. Here it's explicitly stated, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Mercy because we deserve judgment. We deserve it, but we get mercy by the washing of regeneration. Wait a second, washing what regeneration? Well, the idea that we are washed clean of our sin, re regenerated, made something into new. This is where the idea, idea of we're born again, we're new creatures, and, and the Holy Spirit renews us, starts us anew. And you say, well, where in the world does baptism come in this? Turn quickly into the book of Acts, and so you can see this. Very much when we think of, we think of sin, we think of it as dirty. That's why in Psalm 51, David says to God, wash me of my sin. So here in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 22, Paul is talking about his salvation. And the, and the fact that he was challenged, at, you know, if you're really saved, go out and get baptized. Now, again, I'm never trying to minimize baptism. Baptism doesn't save, but believers need to be baptized. If you're a professing believer, you understand the gospel, you're independent, you're, no one's forcing you to do it, you're to be baptized. And here in Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 22, verse 16, <clears throat> the, um, we get this. As, as the challenge comes to, comes to the Apostle Paul, before he's, this is right when he just got saved, he, he says, um, he's being challenged, and I'll pick up in verse 14. The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear an anointing and an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him and to all men of what you've seen and heard. Because Paul has been converted, Jesus Christ has appeared to him, and now this man Ananias is challenging Paul, and so verse 15, verse 15 says, you'll be a witness. Verse 16, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Then we'd say, stop right there. Well, that's good. Go up, be baptized, make a public declaration of it. But here you get, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Wait a second, doesn't that teach baptismal regeneration? Well, we, we've just seen Titus 3.5. I've referenced Ephesians 2.8.9, Isaiah um, 55, 1 and 2. Salvation is by faith alone. But here's where we get the idea when we think about the idea of what is baptism representing, it's the fact that it's a cleansing from sin. And it's, it's the idea that we are, we are born of a, a, a spiritual regeneration, okay? And so when you think of baptism, someone's getting a bath. Again, another reason why submersion is the valid view. Now, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, tell you these passages this all fits with the theology of the spiritual birth remember John, jesus says in john 3 5 he says unless a man is born of water and the spirit he, he doesn't go into the kingdom of god nicodemus who jesus was with says well how can these things be in essence and jesus chides him and says don't you understand don't you know and know what okay what should he have known? This whole concept about being born again is new, right? Well, yes and no. God promised it, and you can look at Ezekiel 36, verse 25 and to 27, that he would send his spirit for a cleansing, a new birth, a cleansing. 
that the, they would be born of a spiritual cleansing. And that is the idea that when we see baptism, we have to understand it's picturing the spiritual cleansing that has washed us from our sins. Does the physical water cleanse us? No. It's, the spiritual, it's, it's on the spiritual plane alone. Okay. So here you go. Four symbolisms. Identification with the Godhead. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is pictured. Safety from judgment. Washing from sin. It's what every believer needs to understand what baptism, physical baptism represents because these are all the spiritual dilemmas, the dynamics that you've gone through. And so think about this now. This is where I want you as a believer today to say, well, I've already been baptized. I don't need to deal with this. I, I know it doesn't save me. But like we view a wedding and the pastor goes through the vows and, you know, we laugh because we know it's not going to be always easy to be married. <laughs> Another joke. And, and we think, well, now I've got to remember. I've got to remember that I'm supposed to love that sacrificially way. I want you to ask yourself, what kind of identification are you living up to? What kind of name are you living up to? Are you living like you're somebody that's truly been resurrected? I love Philippians chapter 3 because it talks about the fact that if, I'm, if I am somebody that's born again, I know the resurrected in power. If you're saying you're a Christian and you're living, like there's no way, that there's any difference in the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, are you really living a changed life? Ask yourself, on a daily basis, this world is rushing to hell and judgment. As Christians, we constantly wring our hands and we're so mad, going crazy about where our country's going. And we think, my goodness, our country's surely going to be judged. Then I want you to, every once in a while, say, my goodness, I'm not going to be judged. There should be, you know, you, you should, you struggle with joy. Think about the fact and the reality that you're not going to be judged. Because the waters of judgment, the fires of judgment have passed over you. What a blessing. And maybe that'll spur you on to more faithful living. And then lastly, just think about the fact that you've been washed from sin. Why in the world would you go to that internet porn site? Why would you go take another drink? Why would you be a liar? Why do you want to get involved in that kind of dirt, that slime? You know, we say that, that, that sin, it's just dirty. I've been washed from it. I don't want to go back, as the passage talks about, the sow goes back into the, into the pigsty. I don't want to go into that. Live up to your baptism. If you've been baptized, but if you haven't been baptized today, leave this thought that I need to make sure I'm truly born again, and then I need to follow it up with baptism. Because I need to make that public identification. Baptism is no joke. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Christ and what he means. And I hope all here today want to embrace Jesus Christ. Look at him as their Savior. There is no way any believer should ever think that baptism or any other good work has saved them. There's no way we could be convinced of that, Lord. And we're so thankful for what Jesus did. But you also want us to understand what happened to us in our salvation. It's so fascinating that you've taken this one word and have these different symbolic meanings. I'm praying that every believer here today, Father, 
grasp it at the heart of their soul and really choose over what baptism means and how they're to be living. And Lord, I know that as we have people come in, that there could be people today that have come today that don't know you as their Savior. They don't see themselves identifying with God. They don't see themselves living a resurrected life. They don't see themselves safe from judgment. They still, they still deal with guilt. And, and then, then, Lord, I know that they're still playing in sin and their lives are dirty. You say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Lord. I want people to fear you in a good way and to understand that you're offering salvation freely if they'll just turn and believe. May anyone here today that doesn't know you have a yearning to just say, enough is enough. I need the salvation of Jesus Christ because judgment is coming and God isn't playing games. And salvation is no joke either. So God, we pray for new life to be born here today. Baptize that individual into the body of Christ, the person who believes now. Now bless us, God, as we go out today thinking about what we have in our baptism with Jesus Christ. Amen.